Good morning, church. I don't have time really to spend much time telling you how much I love you, but I don't have time not to tell you that, so I want to tell you again, as I do every week, that I love and appreciate you so very much. When I was growing up, we, I really liked cereal. I mean, I really liked cereal. One of my favorite aisles at the grocery store was the cereal aisle, but we, honestly, we couldn't really afford the, the name brand cereal in the boxes, so usually ours was the generic ones in the bag, you know, the ones I'm talking about. Um, and, and, and those were good, and, and they were almost as good as the name brand. But I mean, man, if I, got, if I got cereal out of a box, that was like Christmas morning for me. I, I loved it, you know. But we, we probably all had name brand products and generic products, and sometimes there's very little difference, and sometimes you really can't tell the difference. Um, and, and sometimes the, the generic products have sort of a generic name like tissues or cola or oat cereal or whatever it is, but sometimes the generic names, you just have to laugh because I think they're hilarious. Sort of knockoffs of the, the genuine article like, like this one is Dr. Bob, I like that, <laughs> Dr. Bob. Or then there is uh, not angry birds, but ill-tempered birds, I like that. Or... Um, Arm and hatchet baking soda, arm and hatchet. That might actually cut better, I'm not sure. Um, or if you say this one fast, donkey donuts, you know, it's, it doesn't, I, I'm not sure about that one. Uh, or the last one is my favorite, special man. He's not super, but he's, he's special. And I, and I say that, not just to be silly, but, but I'm afraid that sometimes this is sort of what we do with our spirituality that this is what we do with our religion, that we trade what's genuine, what's real, what's deep, what has all of the ingredients that it's supposed to have for sort of a generic knockoff version of the original, of the genuine. So here's my encouragement throughout this entire series is don't trade God's genuine promises for generic sentiments. And that's what we do a lot of times. We, we take a verse out of context and we sort of twist it. We, we remove the essential elements of it and, and we sort of just make it a, a pale comparison of what it's supposed to be. Instead of having and holding on to and, and rooting our faith and our hope in God's genuine promises, we take these generic sentiments and we settle we settle for those. And, and I want us to stop settling, to stop settling for generic sentiments. And you know the ones I'm talking about. We're going to talk about one specifically this morning, but there's all sorts of these generic sentiments that sound sort of religious. They, they sort of sound spiritual. They, they sort of sound like something in the Bible. Maybe they're a version of something found in the Bible. But, but but really, they're, amiss, they're missing the most essential elements and ingredients, namely Jesus. If Jesus isn't at the core of it, if Jesus isn't at the heart of it, then it's just a generic sentiment. It's not God's genuine promises. At the heart, at the core of all of God's genuine promises, you will find Jesus. And if Jesus isn't really part of these sentiments that we're repeating and making ourselves feel better about life with these 
sentiments, these religious sentiments, these spiritual sentiments, these sort of biblical sounding things, if Jesus isn't at the heart of them and the core of them, they're not really biblical, they're not really Christian, they're not really God's genuine promises. So that's my encouragement throughout this whole series is don't trade God's genuine promises for generic sentiments by taking things out of context or by settling for these religious sounding or spiritual sounding phrases. The one we're going to talk about this morning is everything happens for a reason. Maybe you've heard that. Maybe you've said that. Maybe you've repeated that. Maybe you have it on a bumper sticker. I'm not mad at anybody that that has this idea, but I just want to talk about these things Because this isn't the only sort of generic sentiment that we often repeat. It it sounds sort of like what Romans 8.28 says, and we'll talk about the context there in Romans 8. But, But when people say this, what they seem to be saying is that whatever it is that happened, I lost my job, I got sick, I got a flat tire, I'm running late, whatever it is that happened, this bad thing that happened, that it's going to work into something good or something better down the road, maybe tomorrow or maybe an hour from now, and that this bad thing is going to lead to some good thing, and this is all something that God is really pleased with, God is really happy about. And and maybe that makes us feel better about getting a flat tire or running late, and and that's fine, but we have to be so very careful with these sort of sentiments. Because church, we have a whole generation, especially of young people, who are growing up and and they're asking really good questions. If this is true, if God is pleased with everything that happens, if everything that happens is what God wanted to happen, then what about things like slavery? And what about things like child trafficking? And what about things like genocide? And what about things like pandemics? And what about things like cancer? And what about all of these horrible things that are happening in the world? Is this, is this really what God wanted to happen? And, and so while we take little sentiments like this and we sort of make ourselves feel better about the flat tire that we had, sometimes we are creating a disillusionment with a whole generation of people who are asking, is this really true? Is is everything that happened what God wanted to happen? Is this bad, horrible thing that's happening right now, is this God's plan? Is this what God wanted to happen? And again, if we'll look at the context of things, I think we'll have a whole lot better understanding. So we're going to look at Romans, and before we get into chapter 8, just sort of big picture, Romans is about Jesus was always the key to God's master plan. You could say that about Romans. You could pretty much say that about the entire Bible. Jesus has always been the key to God's master plan. You want to know what God's master plan is all about? Jesus is the key. Jesus is the heart. And so Paul goes through in the book of Romans talking about how through Jesus, God is bringing together into his covenant family both Jews and Greeks into his covenant family and that this was always God's plan and that through Jesus, God was justifying both Jews and Greeks by faith, that he was giving them all, both Jews and Greeks, the gift of eternal life and a shared inheritance, that for everyone who is in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation for both Jews and Greeks and how it's Jesus who is bringing God's 
ultimate plan to fruition. And Paul spends a lot of time talking about how it's not the law. The law of Moses was not the key to God's master plan. It was a part of God's master plan, but it wasn't the key to God's master plan. It wasn't going to be through the law that God was going to bring to fulfillment all of his promises, even though the law and the prophets talk about how he was going to do that. It wasn't the law itself. Why? Because we're weak. If it all depended on the law, then it would depend on our strength to keep the law. But Paul would say, but we're flesh. And because we're flesh, we couldn't keep the law. And because we're flesh, and because we couldn't keep the law, the key to God's master plan couldn't be the law. It had to be Jesus. And so he says, with that in mind, Romans chapter 8 and verse 7, he says, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, I think we need to stop right there for just a second and recognize that, that those that are in the flesh, those that are walking by the flesh, those that have their mind set on the flesh and doing what the flesh wants to do in living how people naturally live, They are hostile to God, and they do not do what pleases God. So that right there ought to tell you that there's something wrong with any idea that says God is pleased with everything that happens. Nonsense. God is not pleased with everything that happens. Some things happen because people are sinful. Some things happen because people have their mind set on the flesh, And God is not pleased with those actions or their results. God is not pleased when people have their mind set on the flesh and they do fleshly things. So if you've been hurt by someone, emotionally, physically, if you've been assaulted by someone, if you look out at the world and you see hurting people, there is no reason for you to feel like you have to convince yourself that God is pleased with your pain. I'm going to say that again. There is no reason that you have to convince yourself that somehow God is pleased with your pain, that God wanted this horrible thing to happen to you. Some things happen because people's minds are set on the flesh. And when people's minds are set on the flesh, God is not pleased with the action or the results. But, but let's get real. Because it's not just them out there, somebody else's sinfulness that has caused my pain. A lot of my pain has been caused by my sinfulness, by my mind being set on the flesh. And some of the consequences and the pain and the scars that I've had to deal with are because of the things that I have done. Some of it has been because of what someone else has done. Some of it has been because of what I have done. And God is not pleased with any of it. But God is going about fixing things. And how is it that God is fixing things He's not pleased with what I did in the flesh. He's not pleased with what you did in the flesh. He's not pleased with what was done to you in the flesh. But God is fixing things through the Spirit. He says in verse 9, You, however, 
In Christ, you that are in Christ Jesus are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. You see, God is going about fixing things. God is in the business of redemption. God is in the business of fixing. God is in the business of healing. God is in the business of repair. God is not pleased with what is done in the flesh, but God is pleased in what is done in the spirit. See, because he's changing you, and he's changing me by giving us his spirit, by making us righteous through Jesus, and then giving to us his spirit so that when we walk in the spirit and not by the flesh, things get better. God is pleased when his people walk in the spirit. And you know what the spirit's fruit looks like, don't you? Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. This is what pleases God. This is what pleases God when we walk in the spirit. You've been hurt by your own walking in the flesh, and you've been hurt by other people walking in the flesh, and God is not pleased with that. But when you walk in the Spirit, and others walk in the Spirit, and begin to live out God's plan, God's master plan for humanity, for the world, God is pleased with that. So let's stop laying these things at God's feet and say, well, this happened because God wanted it to happen. No, this happened because sin wanted it to happen. This happened because the flesh wanted it to happen. What God wants to happen is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. He says in verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. See, Jesus isn't finished with just behavior modification. God is not finished with just changing our behavior. He's actually going to change our bodies. He's going to raise our bodies from the dead. And so all of it, the sinfulness and the brokenness and the hurting and the pain and the scars, both emotionally and physically, God is going to redeem and raise our mortal bodies. He says in verse 12, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You see, this is God's master plan. Whatever it is that you did to someone else or what someone else did to you, that wasn't God's plan. But this, walking by the Spirit so that you can live because of what he's done for you, this is God's master plan. Verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. There's all kinds of things 
we can learn from suffering. There are all kinds of things that in the midst of suffering, we can be thankful for. But the suffering itself, this wasn't God's master plan. God's master plan is the glory that is to come. God's master plan is to bring Jesus and his spirit to fix the suffering, to redeem the suffering, to transform the suffering so that in the future you're not suffering. You share in the inheritance of Jesus and you share in his glory provided right now we are content by faith to share in his suffering. The glory that God wants to give to us, the glory that God wants to share with us, that's God's master plan. Look at verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Some things happen, hurricanes, earthquakes, tornadoes, cancer, viruses, and all of the brokenness that we see in creation. Paul tells us why this happens, because creation itself is in bondage to corruption. It's fallen. It's broken. It's not as it's supposed to be. Earthquakes and hurricanes and tornadoes and famines and droughts, this is not how it's supposed to be. And by God's grace, it's not what it will be. The world doesn't operate as it's supposed to. It operates the way that it does because it's broken. Why does this happen? Why do these hurricanes and tornadoes and floods and pandemics happen? Because creation is in bondage to corruption. But notice he says in verse 21 that the creation itself will be what? Set free. Set free. Set free from its bondage to corruption. That's God's master plan. That's God's master plan. I don't have to. If I'm the victim of a flood or a hurricane or a virus or a cancer or a heart attack or whatever, I don't have to convince myself that somehow, somehow this is what God wants or that God is pleased with this brokenness and this hurt and this pain. But the gospel does convince us that all of these things will someday be no more and that God will set creation free from its bondage to corruption. It says in verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. See, this whole text, this whole chapter is about our groaning, about our saying, why is it this way? Why does this hurt so bad? Why do these things happen? When is God going to fix this? And Paul says over and over again that the Spirit of God, the Spirit, 
has been given to you as the first fruits, as the first taste of his master plan. He's making all things new. He's redeeming all things. He's setting all things free. And you know who he started with? Us. Us. In setting us free. When we were baptized into Jesus and we came up out of that water, that was the beginning of new creation. And all around us, the Spirit of God has been given to us as the first fruits, as the first taste of his master plan to fix all things, to redeem all things, to make all things new. And he says in verse 24, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. See, some things happen because our hope is not yet realized. Our hope is not yet realized. We have to recognize that sometimes good things happen, right? Good things happen. You got a promotion. You got married. You had a baby. You you, you found $10 on the sidewalk. Something good happened in your life. But as good as those things are, they're not your hope. They're not your hope. That's not what we're looking for. That's not what we're expecting. It's like if you were going to take your family to Disney World and on the way you stopped at McDonald's and your kids said, that was the surprise. That was wonderful. Thank you so much for the Happy Meal. Okay, let's go home now. No, that was good, but it wasn't your hope. Your hope is still to come. Oh, God does all kinds of good things in your life. God does all kinds of good things in my life. God blesses us in all kinds of ways, but this isn't yet our hope. Our hope hasn't yet been realized. So when we say, why why do all of these things still happen? Why is there still all of this brokenness? Because our hope isn't yet realized. Look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We live in a world where people still walk in the flesh, where we still struggle with the flesh. We we live in a world that is still groaning, in its bondage to corruption. We live in a world where our hope isn't yet realized. So of course we don't know what to pray for. Of course we don't know what to pray for. Of course we're weak. That's Paul's whole point in Romans. Of course you're weak. And of course the law couldn't be the key to God's master plan because of your flesh, because of your weakness. But God gave you his spirit to help you in your weakness. So that even though we don't even know what to pray for, the Spirit intercedes for us. And then in that context, he says, verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. See, there's quite a difference, isn't there? between what Paul is saying in this context and sort of our generic sentiments that say everything happens for a reason. First of all, Paul isn't saying that that all things that happen are because God wants them to happen. But he is saying that nothing happens that God wasn't prepared for. 
Nothing happens that God wasn't prepared for. Nothing happens that surprises God. Nothing comes along and God says, oh, I wasn't expecting that. Never, never. These things that happen will never take God's plans by surprise. They will never thwart God's master plan. Nothing can happen that can thwart God's master plan. In fact, God does quite the opposite to everything that happens. In fact, he hijacks all of the evil things. He hijacks all of the bad things. He hijacks all the destructive things. And he turns them on their head and he uses them for his own master plan. Right? But, but notice also that it says that all things work together for good for whom? For those who love the Lord and those that are called according to his purpose. Rather than sort of these generic statements that say, well, everything, everything, for everybody, at all times. The gospel says, no, listen, God is, is working all things together for the ultimate good of his people. But the good news is that if you're in Christ Jesus, you're his people. If you're in Christ Jesus, you are the ones that called according to his plan. If you're in Christ Jesus, you are the ones who love God. And so he is working all things together for good and will never be surprised by any bad thing that happens. In fact, he will turn it on its head so that ultimately you have what is good and you get to share in what is good. Look at verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. See, it was always God's plan to call and to justify and to glorify his people. And in Christ, you are his people. In Christ, y'all are his people. In Christ, both Jews and Greeks are all part of God's master plan to give us all things, to give us what is good. Good, not just, not just temporarily good, not just sort of good, not just good for a moment, but good for eternity ultimate good and there's nothing nothing that's going to happen nothing that has happened nothing that is happening nothing that will happen that will thwart God's plan God will make sure that his people have what he has always planned for them to have verse 31 what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We're being regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus 
our Lord. Nothing can thwart God's plans for his people. Nothing. Not cancer, not COVID, not wars, not persecution, not elections. We get so nervous, don't we? Maybe this is going to mess everything up. Maybe God didn't see this coming. Maybe now his plans are going to go off track. Nonsense. Nothing in all creation will separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing will separate us from God's love. Nothing can throw God's plans into chaos. Nothing can thwart God's plans. This ought to give us incredible confidence so that if we are those who are called according to his purpose, if we are those who love him, we can walk through life loving our enemies, turning the other cheek, knowing that sword and famine and persecution and danger, they cannot threaten the plans of God. And if they can't threaten the plans of God, then they can't threaten the people of God. God is doing good things and nothing can change the good that God has planned. We might be able to sum it up this way and say everything that happens is not good, but God will bring good from everything that happens. It's okay to be sad, to be disappointed, to be frustrated, to admit this isn't good. This isn't good. Whatever it is that you're thinking about, this probably isn't good. But God can bring good from everything that happens. That this bad thing that's happening right now is no threat to the promises that God has made to his people. And it's those promises. It's those promises that I hope that we hold on to, that we anchor our life and our joy and our hope in God's genuine promises. Let's go back to what we said in the beginning. Don't trade God's genuine promises for generic sentiments. Don't trade God's genuine promises for generic sentiments. If Jesus isn't at the heart of it and the core of it, it's a knockoff from the original at best. It's a generic sentiment, not God's genuine promises because Jesus is the key. Jesus is the core. Jesus is the heart of God's promises for his people. And Jesus has already given himself. Jesus has already been raised from the dead. Jesus is already reigning. So nothing can stop God's plans for the people that he has chosen to be his and the people to whom he will give all things. Not everything that happens is good, but God can do good things and make good from everything that happens. That's the confidence that we have in Christ Jesus. Every week, we offer an invitation, but I hope that we recognize that every week we all respond to God's word. We all respond in one way or another. In one way, we might say, well, I, I, I don't believe that. I'm not going to live that way. I'm not going to do that. Another way, we might say, I'm, I'm going to make some changes in my life. Sometimes we say, you know what, I need to be baptized into Jesus. Sometimes we say, I need help with this. I need prayers. I need encouragement. My encouragement to all of us every week is to figure out how are you going to respond to these promises? How are you going to respond to Paul's encouragement and challenge to all of us to walk in this sort of confidence 
knowing that when we are anchored to the genuine promises of God, we have nothing to be afraid of. We have nothing that should shake our confidence. Right now is an opportunity. If we can help you as you respond to this message, come forward as we stand and sing.